Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Good morning, Fellowship Church. Welcome, let's stand as we worship this morning. We just wanted to start this service by talking to our Heavenly Father. So will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. And we have come here this morning because we want to meet with you. We want to know you more. We want to encounter your presence. And God, we just pray that as we are singing, as we are praising, as we are worshiping you, God, that you would respond. We know that you will. We know that you're faithful to, but we just want to know it. We want to feel it. So I just pray that you would feel welcome in this place. We give you everything, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Come on, church.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being with us, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for living within us. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. I just ask you, God, to draw close to us today. Lord, it is an honor to worship you, to lift you up to highest praises. So Jesus, I pray and we ask you, to just invade our space. Holy Spirit, fill us up from the top of our heads to the, to the tips of our toes. That we may see things that we haven't seen before. We may hear things that we haven't heard before. Influence our thoughts, our decisions, our whole day, our week. God, we lift it up to you. Jesus, thank you for being with us. Father, I, undoubtedly you are here grateful for that. So Jesus, we just ask you to lay your hand of blessing on us. That may we receive what you want us to. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Ooh, he's good. Give him another shout of praise. Come on. Ooh. He's here. He's, you guys know he's here right now? He's with us. If you're in, in the room with us, go ahead and take your seats and find somebody. Tell him he's here. He is here. If you are tuning in online with us, thank you so much. We'd love to be able to hear from you more. And let me tell you, he's with you right now too. He is here. And I'm excited to see all the different reach that Fellowship Church has. So please engage with us. Let us know where you're tuning in from, whether you are on Facebook, YouTube, or our website. We also want to connect with you. If you need prayer, navigate over to our website or on the Church Center app. Click the Need Prayer button. We'd love to pray with you today. If you would consider yourself a guest or visitor here, whether you're in person or you're online and you just want to connect with the staff a little bit, just grab your smart device, your smartphone, and text the word fellowship 
to 94,000. As soon as you do that, you get in contact with our staff as well as an invitation to the guest reception. So whether you're at home or here and you want that, go ahead and text the word fellowship to 94,000. And maybe you consider yourself, maybe not a guest or visitor, but maybe just new and you're finally in a spot where like, I wanna figure out what my next step is in my relationship with Jesus, how it fits here at fellowship, how it could fit. Stop by the east end of the lobby. We'd love to just talk to you and, and share with different groups and class opportunities that could be a good next step for you as well. Today we're going to continue the worship of our great God with the giving of tithes and offerings. There's a lot of different ways to give here. We'll try and make it as simple as we can. Church Center app is really easy. You can scan the code on the screen to do that. You can also drop a check or some money over in the lobby on our drop boxes. Or come see us during the week. We'd love to see you and pray with you. As I was thinking about just the idea of giving and tithes and offerings as we're coming into the holiday season, just generosity is kind of like one of those things. And I think for a lot of us, generosity is almost like a decoration that we get back out in the, in the season. And like now we're thinking about giving a little bit more. Now we're thinking about that sort of thing. But if you look at the life of Jesus, man, he shared every single thing. He shared everything, every part of his life. He had his followers with him 24-7. Now I like you guys. I do. 24-7, I don't know if I can handle that. I don't. But Jesus freely gave himself, and that was just a model of how he lived his life. And I think as followers of Jesus, we want to try and live our life similarly. And generosity is just one of those things. It's not a decoration to get out during the holidays. It's just a practice that we can live by and how Jesus continued to do that. And he gave everything um, he had. He gave his life. For us. And so in, in the model of that, if, if anybody's in financial need or financial struggle, I want to pray a, just a special blessing over you and over the offerings in general. But this season, let's start just practicing generosity as this, this rule of life because that's, what, that's how Jesus lived his life. It's interesting that scriptures have like 500 verses on, on prayer and, and even less on faith. But when it comes to generosity and finances, there are 2,000 verses in, in scriptures about it. Because Jesus is continually after our heart. And our culture is crazy now. And it was crazy back then too, 2,000 years ago. And money's always been one of those things that's tried to grab our hearts away. But generosity is one of those things that we can stand and practice of what the kingdom is. And so I just want to pray a special, special prayer of just blessings over each and every one of us today. God, thank you. Thank you for your provision and what you've already done for us. Lord, in giving your life for us. So Jesus, I pray that you can bless all the different tithes and offerings that are coming in today. But above that, God, I just pray that you can just bless everybody with your presence. If they're in a hard place right now financially, I pray that they can feel your love for them. And that, Father, the, the miracles that you're going to do financially for us, we already say thank you for them. But I pray that those miracles are footnote to what you do into our hearts. God, that, you, that we can feel your love. We can feel just your voice within us, God. And, and those, those, those adoration for us. God, thank you. So, Father, giving is a way that we can love you back. And so, God, I pray that you receive all these offerings and blessings and lay your hand on anyone in need in this season. Lord, we love you. We thank you in your heavenly name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of different things going on here at Fellowship Church. Here are a few of them. The Sunday after Thanksgiving is gonna be a beautiful service and we want you to be there. We are going to be doing communion church-wide as a family and we're gonna take time to remember all that God has done for us and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We hope that you're there. This is the 11th year that we are partnering with Aerial Clinical Services to provide Christmas for kids who are in foster care. If this is something that has been on your heart, then we ask that you would participate with us. You would partner with your church family, and you can do this by grabbing an angel off of the tree found in the east end of the lobby. All you have to do, go up, pick your little angel, and then head to the table that is also found in the east end of the lobby, and they will give you some more information about that. 
On December 7th, Divorce Care is hosting an event called Surviving the Holidays. We don't want the holidays to be a time that is filled with stress and anxiety. And coming from a family of divorce, I know that I could have really used this class. The holidays should be peaceful. It should be a time that we can gather together. And this class will tell you exactly how to do that. And this cost is only $15. That will give you a survival guide. It will also give you a catered dinner. We also want you to know that you do not have to attend Divorce Care in order to sign up for this class. You can sign up for this on the Church Center app. A lot of our life groups have been working through emotionally healthy spirituality, and that is soon to come to an end. And we know that that has changed so many of our church families' lives, and we hope that it's changed yours as well. Starting in the new year, we are asking for more life group hosts. If this is something that has been on your heart and you're saying, man, I know God is asking me to step out, to take this next step, then we pray and we ask you would do it. We know God is gonna work through you. We know God is gonna use you. And you can sign up for that on the Church Center app or go to the information counter for more information. If you have a heart for worship and the Lord has blessed you with a good singing voice, unlike he's done for me, then we encourage you to sign up for the choir. You can do this on the Church Center app. Our choir is amazing and the specials that they do here are incredible. And this morning they have prepared something just for you. We hope you enjoy it.
couple of Thanksgivings ago, there was this lady, and her name was Sharon Reese. And she burned her Thanksgiving pie. And she had purchased her pie from, like, Marie Callender, frozen pie, you know, at the grocery store. And after she burnt it, she decided, instead of just laughing about it with her family and friends and saying, hey, I'm sorry, everybody have to eat the apple pie this year, she decided to publicly blame Marie Callender, the manufacturer of the pie. And so she took a picture of her pie, and she posted it on Marie Callender's corporate page, sort of blaming them. And here's what it looks like. There's her pie. And she says, thanks, Marie Callender, for ruining Thanksgiving dessert. Now, Marie Callender, as a company, they're obligated to respond, you know, politically. And so their response Crack me up. They say, hi, Sharon. Thanks for your post. We're really sorry to hear our pumpkin pie let you down this year. We'd like to get in touch with you so we can hear more and help. And then they give a way to do that. And then it broke the Internet. Like people lost their minds over Sharon just blaming Marie Callender for her pie. And so people started posting responses kind of defending Marie Callender. And so I'll read you a couple. Uh, Marie Callender, why are you sorry? You didn't cremate her pie. You didn't set her oven temperature to hell setting. She did that all on her own. And another guy said, I'm no culinary genius or anything, but I'm pretty sure the instructions say to bake those pies, not light them on fire, and then stick them in the broiler. And there are a lot more. You, you can spend hours seeing what everyone has to say to Sharon. But then people said, you know what would be better is if we turned this whole thing into a bunch of memes. And so they took some famous memes and they kind of edited them, edited them to include Sharon's pie. So this is one of my favorite. Um, you've seen this steak thing here. Right? Okay. I love that one. And then they did one with the cookies, right? The chocolate chip cookies used too much egg, too much butter, too much gross negligence were involved in the cooking of that pie. Um, but this one is my favorite. This is the one that's like maybe we could be productive with Sharon's pie, sort of help, you know, a big national problem. So they suggested that, you know, what if we solve our gas price crisis somehow using this pie uh, to heat the nation? So this woman, Sharon, she kind of became a national symbol of people that take out their anger on innocent people. People that just lay out on somebody else and, and vent their anger to them. And this morning we're continuing in our series, Blind Spots, and we're taking a look at the blind spot of anger. And for many people, anger can literally be a blind spot. In fact, in planning this sermon series, we had a staff meeting, as we always do, and we were like spitballing, what are the topics? If we're going to do this blind spot series, what are the big topics we think that maybe our people need to hear? And so we, you know, we came up with a few, we put them on the paper, we're like, okay, unresolved hurts, that's a big one, disappointments, that's a big one, anger made the list, guilt, shame, all those, so some big ones. And as we're kind of brainstorming and talking to different teaching pastors, I said to Tim, hey, if we do anger, I think you should teach it, Tim, because it's kind of more of a guy issue, and so it might be better received from a male speaker, so you should really do that one. And he nods, he's like, you're right, it kind of is. And then the meeting ended, and I went about my day, and the Holy Spirit so sweetly spoke to me, and he said, hey, what is it that makes you think anger is a guy issue? Yes, stereotypically, guys can be aggressive, guys can yell. He said, but women, they get angry just as much. They just do it different. Instead, women are passive aggressive. Women are sharp with our tongues. Women, we withdraw from the situation. So we have just as much of a struggle with anger. We just express it differently than the guys. So apparently, anger was a blind spot for me. So here I am. Um, talking about anger. So what I want to do is I want to rewind in the scriptures to the very first time the word anger is ever used in the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 4. And this particular story centers around Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 2. It says, now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
So we have Abel as a shepherd, we have Cain as a farmer, and for some reason they're bringing an offering. Now the Bible doesn't tell us why they decided to bring an offering or if there's any context to this offering. It doesn't say if they were following any instructions, just somehow they brought an offering. Verse 4, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Now I want to first have us notice one thing. God sees the person and then the offering. Did you see that? He saw Abel and his offering. He saw Abel, his heart, and then what he brought to the Lord. And when God looks at us, he sees first us and our heart and secondly our offering. So God sees that Abel, he brought his offering from the heart. It was the firstborn of his flock. It was the best portion of that, which was considered the fatty portion in that era. And so he brought the best cut and he offered it to the Lord. Well, Cain, the implication is he did the opposite. So I don't know if he went through his orchard and he picked all the best peaches and then he brought, went back through and picked up the ones on the ground that were bruised or the ones under ripened on the tree and he just brought the leftovers or the seconds from his farm. We don't know, but in the end, God knew the heart of both men and he accepted and looked with favor on Abel and his offering and he looked the opposite at Cain and his offering. So verse 5, but Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So there we have it, the first mention of the word and the feeling of anger. Up to this point in scripture, we've had other emotions. Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was perfect paradise, so they had the emotion happy. Later they were banished from the garden for their behaviors and as a result there was probably sadness. And now in chapter 4 we find anger. And so those kind of become the three, if we represented them with emojis, like the three big feelings that we like to talk about. And there are some in this room that if we just added two more, you'd be satisfied for life. If we just added like hungry and tired. And those would be maybe like the five emotions that you like to deal with. Happy, sad, mad, hungry, tired, and that's it. But there are people who, and researchers have proven that there are actually 34,000 different emotions. That's what researchers say. And I would like to just propose that most likely those researchers were women, okay? It's just, I'm just going out on a limb here when I say this, but women, we like to have a lot of emotions. We like to have a lot of different words for our emotions. And sometimes it's really goes back to these five big ones, but in the end, some people like naming the emotions other things because they have this context that some emotions are bad and other emotions are good. That some are acceptable and others are unacceptable. And so sometimes we like to say, instead of saying, I'm angry, we say, I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, I'm bothered, exasperated, displeased, indignant, riled up, heated, impassioned. And we especially use these other terms, these more palatable, fancier terms, when we're talking about people we love. We don't want to say, I'm mad at my spouse. We say, I'm annoyed or I'm frustrated, right? It sounds better. We don't want to say, I'm angry at my children. It sounds harsh. So, so we say, I'm bothered. But let's be honest, in the end, call it what you want, fancy it up all you want. In the end, we're really dealing with this emotion of anger. And anger is contagious. In fact, one um, angry person can infect an entire room. And a psychologist did a study, his name is Dr. Daniel Goldman, and he researched how emotions spread from person to person and how they affect each other. And here's a quote. Emotions are more contagious than the flu. This dynamic is so powerful, in one study, three volunteers were silently sat in a circle for two minutes. And at the end of that time, the most emotionally expressive person transmitted his or her mood to the other two without saying a word. In every such session, the mood of the most emotionally expressive person going in had was the mood the other two felt when they left, whether it was happy, bored, anxious, or angry. And all emotions can be contagious, but especially anger, especially fear, those two are probably the most contagious. And for some of you, this really resonates with you. You like can see this unfolding because you maybe live with someone who turns up the temperature of the room you're in with their anger. And that becomes the first spot that I want it to be a blind spot check for us. I want us to ask ourselves this question. Am I controlling the temperature of the room I'm in with my anger? 
And that room might be our home, could be the workplace, a classroom, a team we're on, our friendship circle, or maybe our Thanksgiving table. But in the end, we ask ourselves, am I controlling the thermostat with my anger? Verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. That took a dark turn. But in verse 6, God asks a really important question. I think we need to ask ourselves this question as well. Second blind spot check is, ask yourself, why? Why am I angry? Notice that God doesn't tell Cain, don't be angry. Notice that God doesn't say you can't be angry. He just asks why he's angry. And I think this is a really important skill that we have in our lives. We have to be able to look at what am I feeling and why am I feeling that way. And this might sound simple. It might sound like a basic concept. But for many people, we grew up in homes where there were unacceptable feelings and acceptable feelings. And if you feel unacceptable then stop feeling that and start feeling an acceptable feeling. Like, don't feel this. This is messy and bad and wrong and unacceptable. So just stop and just be this. But that's not helpful advice. It's not biblical advice to just say stop feeling one thing and try to feel another thing. Instead, what we have to do is we have to identify what is it that we're feeling and then we have to press into that and ask ourselves, why do I feel that way? So blind spots are a tricky thing, especially in driving, right? And I remember being 16 and learning to drive, feeling cool, like I'm, I'm in the driver's seat, I got my hand at 10 and 2, and my dad's riding shotgun, and I'm going down the road, and I'm feeling like really awesome in this moment, and I decide I, I need to make a turn, so I'm going to switch lanes. And so I do what you do, I check this. The rear view mirror, I check the side mirror, and I go to turn, and my dad in the passenger seat just reaches his hand over as calm as can be and yanks that wheel back, and he goes, blind spot, because I didn't look over my shoulder. In fact, there was a truck in that spot, and, and I wonder if that's what God's doing here. He's got Cain. He's, Cain is going down the road of life. He's about to give in to his anger. He's about to give full vent to his anger on his brother. And take it out on his brother. And I wonder if God in the father in the shotgun seat doesn't just reach over. He's like, vine spot. Like, you're angry. Like, why are you angry? And I think that's what's happening in that text. God is like, why are you angry? And Cain has to come up with a response. Now, when we're driving, we know that the blind spot, you got to actually do three things, right? you got to check. you got to check the side mirror. And then you got to look over the shoulder. Those are like the three responsible driver moves, right? And I think that's really appropriate with anger because you can check your anger um, as a single adult without a spouse and you're like, I'm not an angry person. And then you try to live with another human being and, and your, your anger level changes a little bit, right? Or you make small humans, okay? And you're like, I wasn't, I'm not an angry person in my 20s, but now these people won't put their shoes on. So you have to check and recheck and continue checking where your anger is at. You can't just say, I'm not angry, and then you never have to check again. Situations and circumstances in our life shift. And so it's a check, it's a recheck, and it's an over-the-shoulder check to make sure that you're not starting to exude anger to the people around you. Now, not all the anger we experience is a sin. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Another translation of the same verse says, be angry and do not sin. That means it's possible to be angry and not sin. Anger in and of itself is not the sin. It's what we do with that anger. Anger is an emotion. It's not right or wrong. It just is an emotion. But what we do with that anger does have moral value. We can use that anger to defend or to protect someone else who's more vulnerable, or we can use that anger to lash out and wound and hurt somebody else. And so our action in the anger is what really matters. There are three quick categories of anger that are worth looking at. Um, the first one is protective anger. 
And this is one we see Jesus doing. In Matthew 23, he's arguing with the religious leaders. The religious leaders are making it almost impossible for an average person to be close to God. They've created so many rules and regulations and they're twisting who God is. And in the end, they're making God, in, they're like spiritually abusing these people. And Jesus gets angry in defense of them. Another example, probably the most common one we hear in scripture, we see Jesus is at the temple. And the temple is filled with merchants who are cheating God's people. And Jesus becomes angry. He flips the tables. There's a whip involved. He drives out these merchants. And as a result, Jesus is angry. But he's not angry for himself. He's a protective angry. It's a righteous anger where he's trying to protect people who are being abused. So in this case, there maybe was a poor farmer who knew that God's law required him to bring a lamb for sacrifice to the temple. And so he maybe raised this lamb and kept this lamb and brought the lamb to the temple for inspection by these merchants. And then all of a sudden it had a blemish and it was no longer appropriate for the farmer to offer that lamb. So they would confiscate that lamb and he'd have to buy a new lamb at an exorbitant cost. And many times it was cost prohibitive for the average person in that era. And so Jesus was angered by this injustice that they were keeping God's people from worshiping correctly. And so that's where that anger was all coming from. It's a protective anger. And a protective anger still needs to be controlled. But also it's the birthplace of many movements. The civil rights movement was birthed in a protective, righteous anger. And so protective anger matters, and, and we see that it's not a sin. The second type is purposeful anger. Purposeful anger is our body's physiological response to an emergency. It rises up with a purpose. It's our fight or flight. Like we have a crisis. There's an emergency. I'm being abused. Someone around me is being abused. I've got to fight. This is a physical reaction, and it serves an exact purpose. And that's an okay type of anger. But if I'm honest, the anger that I tend to experience the most is problematic anger. And problematic anger is when I have a problem and I let it bother me and I go off. That's problematic anger. And God asked Cain, why, why are you angry? And ultimately, Cain is angry because he looks at his brother and he's jealous. He compares himself to his brother and, and he's disappointed. He wants to be treated the way his brother's being treated and he's not. And so he thinks it's unfair. He has expectations of himself and of God and those aren't being met. And so he's just kind of mad and he's got this bitter, disappointed anger going on. And the question I ask of the text is, what did Abel ever do to Cain? And there's no evidence of him having wronged his brother in any way. His brother is probably not actually mad at Abel. Cain is probably mad at himself. And he's misdirecting that anger at his brother. And that's a third blind spot check I think we do. We ask ourselves, am I misdirecting my anger at someone else? Cain's anger was misplaced. He had no true reason to be mad at Abel. He, in truth, he was probably anger at himself. God was challenging him. God was speaking to him. Hey, if you make this change, won't you be treated right? It, he was challenging him. He was convicting him. Like, change this and you too can be accepted. You too can have that favor in your life. Well, Cain didn't want to change. Cain wanted to keep the first and the best for himself, but he still wanted God's favor. Cain wanted to make no change, but just God changed how he treated him. And so... Cain was kind of stuck going, I want to keep going the way I'm going, but I just want others to respond differently to me. So he's trying to take his problem and he puts it on his brother. And ultimately, it, I mean, it ends in murder, right? That's crazy. But if I'm honest, I sometimes do something similar with people around me, not murder them. But um, you, like, I remember the moment that I bought my first house. And I was super proud because I had a yard and a fence. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, I'm a real grown-up now. And um, I was like, I need to get a mower. I need to take care of my yard. That's what adults do. And so I got my mower, and I'm going to take care of my yard. And within a few weeks, it became obvious that my yard didn't look like this one particular retired person in my neighborhood. 
His yard was that yard, the yard with no dandelions, no weeds of any kind. It looked like he maybe took a scissors to certain parts, just a sure perfection. It was immaculate. He had the crisscross pattern in his yard. And I remember looking at that and being like, your yard is so great and I don't like you. I thought, what, what kind of dark magic is that guy involved in? to keep his yard looking so pristine. I did not like this guy. And it wasn't that he had done anything to me. I'd actually never spoken to him. But his yard was an indictment on my yard. His yard looking so good was making my yard look bad. And I could have taken responsibility for my yard. I could have, you know, bought a trimmer or read a book on something. I don't know, done something, but I didn't want to do that. Instead, I just wanted to be annoyed and bothered and frustrated Mr. Little Yard Perfect over here. He didn't do anything to me. I wasn't mad at him. I was disappointed in my own yard. I was disappointed with myself, but instead of acknowledging that and changing that, I just wanted my yard to, eat, to just look better by itself magically. But that's not how it works. And I think a lot of us are angry for similar reasons. We're, we feel this conviction. We know that we need to change something, do something different, but it's easier to just be angry at someone else than it is to take that responsibility for myself. And this is what we see with Cain. He just takes his anger out on Abel, even though Abel didn't really do anything to him. Anger is defined by psychologists as a secondary emotion. You've probably heard that before. The idea is that it's not the first feeling we feel, it's the second or the third. So maybe something happens in our life and we're embarrassed. We don't like feeling embarrassed, so we get angry. Or something happens and we're hurt and exposed and we feel vulnerable and that's messy and we don't like it, so we turn angry. Or we're afraid. Something's going to go wrong and we're fearful and boom, we turn angry because we don't want to recognize or deal with that first emotion that we got. It's too messy, so we go to the second emotion, which feels safer and sometimes feels powerful. And we say what we are is angry. Now... In driving, in the last 10 years, there has been some new technology, right? Where you can look in your side view mirror and there's a light that'll light up that lets you know something's in your blind spot, right? This, this is a cool feature. My mom really wants this feature on her car so that she doesn't have to like always twist and look back. But, but if you can see that in your mirror, it lets you know, hey, warning, there's something back there. And that's what anger is. Anger is, hey, warning. You just blew by your embarrassment and you didn't deal with it. You just, you just plowed over that hurt and you didn't address it and now you're angry. That, that warning light goes, hey, pay attention to what you're feeling. Check your blind spot. Something is wrong. You do not want to crash and burn. And so what I want to do next is I want to take a New Testament text, James chapter 4, and I want to lay it over the top of our main text, which is Genesis chapter 4. Because I think James is addressing the exact same thing as the story of Cain and Abel. In verse 1 it says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't have it, so you wage war and take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So verse 2 says that there's something that we want that we don't have. And that's what's true with Cain. Cain wants something. He wants God's favor, but he doesn't have it, and his brother has it. He, he wants to do, keep doing things the way he's always done, but the results to change. He wants to keep the first and the fattest for himself, but somehow still have God's favor. So instead of saying, what do I want, what I want is God's favor, he says, whose fault is it? Cain's. So he makes the what about the who. And that's what I do too sometimes. Instead of saying, hey, this is my fault, this is my yard's issue, this is what I have going on. I want to make it someone else's fault. I want to point the finger at a different person. Instead of it a what, I make it a who. If my boss weren't so demanding, if my children weren't so 
childish, if my teenager weren't so teenagery, if my wife was ro more romantic, if my husband was more emotionally engaged, if my friends were more available, and we take the what and we make it someone else's fault so we don't have to change. And we say, if they would just be less of that, then I would not be so angry. And the challenge for us is we have to stop thinking about who and we have to bring it back to the what. What is it that we need? We need more respect. We're not getting that and it feels, makes us feel angry. Maybe you want to be noticed and appreciated, but you're not and so you feel angry or you want to be accepted, you want to be desired, you want to have it your way. For once, you want to have this person meet these expectations and they're not meeting them. You want what you deserve. You want your rights looked out for. You want someone to agree with you. And if they would just do that, if they would just do that, then you wouldn't be so angry. But James in this New Testament text is saying the exact same thing as God was saying to Cain way back in Genesis 4, which is stop, 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 slow down. Look at why are you angry. Look at what's happening Ask yourself, what is it that you need? Slow down and think about what it is that you're missing instead of just finding a who to blame it on. James 1 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This is a challenge for us to check our blind spots. And, and verse 20 continues, it says, human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. So if we check ourselves and we say, wow, I'm actually slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry, then we can know that we're not going to have the kind of life that God desires for us. We're going to be missing something. Earlier this school year, um, a situation happened for one of our sons that was unjust, grossly unjust, honestly, and hurtful. And I did what every mom did. I went to the school and I advocated and... We discussed and debated, and it was resolved. Um, but for me, it was an unsatisfactory resolution. And so this anger kind of had welled up within me as I was dealing with that. I was sad and angry and frustrated and angry and indignant and angry, and I was just kind of angry. And even though it was like officially resolved, the anger within me wasn't really resolved. And... I'm prepping this sermon and I know like, hey, anger's a blind spot, so you know, pay attention to your anger and stuff. And so I'm looking at my anger and I'm like, God, what am I gonna do with these feelings? Like the issue is done now, right? So now what? And Pastor Tim said a couple weeks ago in the beginning of this series, he said, uh, maybe you can write a letter to the person that you're never gonna send and say all the stuff you need to say and then rip it up. And I don't know if you light it on fire, I don't know what you do, but you just get it out and you, you never mail it. And they talked about how he had this one person in his life and that he was so angry and he couldn't resolve and he didn't know what to do. And so he like blabbed it all out to like this mannequin punching bag thing he had in his home gym and then he beat up the punching bag. And I was like, that's crazy, I, that's not me. I didn't, I, maybe those techniques would help you, but I was like, this is not helping me with how I'm feeling inside. So I was like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do with my anger? And this is, this is what I did. I tattled to Jesus. I sat down in prayer one day and I tattled everything about the situation that I thought was unjust, unfair, unresolved. I tattled the whole thing in great detail to Jesus, just me and him in prayer. And um, when I was done, I felt better, but I still felt like there was just this ball of anger like right here. And so I just sort of imagined myself taking all of those feelings and, and handing them over to his nail-scarred hands. Like, here's a guy that really, really understands injustice. He, right? He had all power and authority in his hand at the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels to get out of this wrong that was happening to him. But the Bible says he stood silent before his accusers. So here's a guy that, that knows what it feels like to the nth degree to for this to happen and so I take my anger and I'm like I'm going to hand this to him because right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and on this earth everything won't be made fair it won't 
be just. Every wrong won't be righted because God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. But someday we'll get to heaven and every wrong will be righted and it will somehow miraculously be made right. And I can't figure that out. I don't know how to do that. And so I took my pile of blah and I put it in his nail-scarred hands and I said, okay, Jesus, you sit at the right hand of the Father. You can judge all things. You will eventually make fair and just and vindicate and whatever you see fit. And then I just let go of it. And it was so, so freeing to my heart. And I don't know if you think you have something in your blind spot when it comes to anger, but if you do, I challenge you to find a way, whether it's that way I said, or one of Tim's or some other way to, to give anger, to give the control of anger over to the Lord and to allow him to speak to that. Because that's literally what happened with God and Cain. Like Cain's angry and God tries to have a conversation with him. God comes in and is like, why are you angry? He's trying to talk to him. He's trying to figure it out and help him converse and, and get it all out. And I think that's the solution to our anger. And that's what God's calling us to do. So if you're feeling angry, I want to challenge you. Maybe you just need to set a time later this week and take an hour and tattle to Jesus everything. I, I don't know what it looks like, but take that anger and put it in his hands because he's the only one that can really, really handle it and eventually resolve it. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for your love for them and your love for all of us. And we pray that this week that you would bless us as we give you our anger, that you would cause it to truly change the disposition of our heart. God, let us be at peace inside. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church family, happy Thanksgiving and do not burn your pie. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you have just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with one of our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you need prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer request by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this is your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or you wanna learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text Fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.